Uh, all right, guys. How many guys memorized last week's memory verse? I had it up here somewhere. Let me see your hands. How many guys memorized last week's memory verse? We are not improving. We are not improving. This is not good. Okay, last week's memory verse was John chapter 1, verse 11 through 13. Who can come do that for us real quick? If you'll come do it. Bertus, come on up, buddy. I've got, I've got prizes. Yeah, somebody wants the handbook. No, 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 no. If you memorize the gospel of John, I'll give you the handbook. But if you can get this verse, Bertus, you get this lovely How to Study the Bible with me. For he, for he came insights. into his own and his own people did not receive him. But as many as received him and believed upon his name, he gave the right to be called children of God. Not born of the blood, nor the will of the flesh, nor the will of man, but of God. Excellent. Thank you, dude. Thank you, thank you. All right. Well, let me begin. Let's, let's open with a, a word of prayer as we open the word. Let us remember as we approach this word, this living, mysterious word is not only being approached by us, but it is approaching us itself. Listen to this. Psalm 119. I have stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. I will meditate on your precepts and fix my eyes on your ways. I will delight in your statutes. I will not forget your word. Open my eyes that I may behold wondrous things out of your law. Lord, that is our great prayer as we open this living, supernatural word. We bring great inadequacy. Lord, there is no amount of smarts on our part that can ever figure out the infinite God who has chosen to contain a revelation of himself in words. This is way beyond us. But Lord, thank you that you have intentionally written down these words and they are living and they are active and they travel into our lives. Lord, I thank you that right now in this room there are folks who perhaps are blinded to who you have been, who in this meeting their eyes will be opened. Lord, I thank you for some who this week has been a week of heavy, weary burdens, perhaps even bondage and affliction and tormenting of soul. But Lord, this word, this word brings freedom to us. If we abide in your word, we'll know the truth and the truth shall make us free. Oh God, open your word to us that we may truly know it and experience its freedom and its life-giving abilities. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. We'll turn to the Gospel of John. Let me make a comment here and before I introduce this particular passage in John chapter 1. The verse that Virtus quoted to us has a concept in it that I think is absolutely critical that you must have this verse memorized in order for you to be able to share the Gospel adequately with somebody else. He came to his own and his own did not receive him. But to as many as did receive him, hold on to that word, to those who believed in his name. Okay, so there's two components here. Those who received and believed, he gave the right to become children of God. We said last week, that immediately tells us, not everybody's a child of God. 
Only those who have believed and received become children of God. Well, what does it mean to believe and receive? Let me start there, because where we're going to go today, I think, this is where this gospel is seeking to take us. To a place of believing and receiving. I put in your outline these words in the original language of Scripture. Receive is the Greek word lambano. It says this. From the basic sense, it means to take. Lambano acquires the active senses. To take to oneself, to receive, to collect, to seize. It's a very active word. What I want to get in our minds is receiving sometimes for us becomes a very po- a posture that looks like it's inactive. I'm just, I'm just sitting here and I'm going to receive something. Now, the biblical word for receive is, is an active word. It's to take something to oneself. Then the word believe. This word as well is not a word of inactivity. To believe also to be persuaded of and hence to place confidence in. To trust signifies in the sense of the word reliance upon, not mere credence, not mere acknowledgement, not mere I'm aware of those facts. I'm aware of of Jesus Christ. I'm aware of who he is. I'm aware of the story, the nativity, the life that he lived, the way he dressed, the story of a cross, his place in history that he was Jewish, that he lived in the Middle East. I'm aware of all that information. That's not belief, though. Belief has confidence in. It puts its trust in. It's a very different word. So it's a person who puts his confidence, he puts his hope in, he puts his trust in Christ, and he takes him and seizes him for himself. That's the person who becomes a child of God. Now, I think that's critical. And it's critical, you know, how do we get that? Well, we get that by studying the Bible and seeing what these words really mean. And what they they connote for us who are reading it at this point in our lives. And I have a real concern, and you should have a real concern, about the condition of, of what is called Christianity and those who call themselves Christians today. I think there, there, is a, there is a breakdown somewhere here. That people who say that they're Christians don't exemplify a life that would give away that they really are Christians, but yet they claim to be Christians. Look at this. U.S. News and World Report survey. I do believe this is a little bit old, but for it to be able to be said at all in the last 25 years. 95% of Americans say they believe in God. There's that word believe. 95% of Americans say they believe in God. Do you really think 95% of the people have reached out and seized God for who he is? And their confidence and their hope rests in him? Do you really believe that? I don't believe that. But but yet, 95% of Americans say they believe in God. That's how they use the word. 60% say they attend religious services regularly. More than 80% believe the Bible is the inspired word of God. More than a third believe the Bible should be accepted literally, word for word. 76% believe that God is a heavenly Father who can be reached by prayer. 9 out of 10 pray. 7 out of 10 believe in life after death. Seven out of eight identify themselves with a Christian denomination. Forty-six percent of Americans say they are born again. Can you imagine what this country would really be like if these things really were true? However, this survey also reveals 38 percent of Americans say there's no set of values that is right or wrong. <laughs> what? Seventy percent say it is up to each individual to determine what is right or wrong. 
Wait, wait, uh, these numbers really get bad here, right? 80% believe the Bible is the inspired word of God, but 70% believe it's up to each individual to determine what's right or wrong. You understand, this stuff can't go together. Well, we have a problem here. Of those who say they read the Bible regularly, half could not name any of the four Gospels. Fewer than half would say, who say they read the Bible regularly knew who gave the Sermon on the Mount. See, there's a crisis in Christianity. There's a crisis in what it really means to be a Christian, to become a Christian. Listen to these words from H.A. Ironside. He says, shallow preaching that does not grapple with the terrible fact of man's sinfulness and guilt, calling on all men everywhere to repent, results in shallow conversions. And so we have myriads of glib-tongued professors today who give no evidence of regeneration whatever. Prating of salvation by grace, they manifest no grace in their lives. And my question, is there somewhere along the way here a breakdown in believing and receiving? If people really not come to the place of truly believing and receiving so that they could become children of God who are by nature no longer children of wrath, but are now children of God. See, when we get a little bit farther into John, we're going to learn something. And when you become a child of God, there's this, there's this work of regeneration that takes place. The verse that Bert has quoted, born of God. Something amazing takes place. It's not just that, well, you know, I used to not attend church and now I attend church. When you become a Christian, you become something different than you once were. If you really did become something different, then I think you begin to live differently. But maybe people really aren't becoming children of God because they're really not understanding what it is to believe and receive the gospel. Listen to Mr. Tozer. Always stirring up trouble, Mr. Tozer. So the Bible knows absolutely nothing about passive reception, for the word receive is not passive, but active. We make the word receive into accept. Many of us are going to be guilty right here. Everyone goes around asking, will you accept Jesus? Will you accept him? This makes a brush salesman out of Jesus Christ. As though he meekly stands waiting to know whether we will patronize him or not. Although we desperately need what he proffers, we are sovereignly deciding whether we will receive him or not. That's not biblically accurate. We have been taught that passive acceptance is the equivalent of faith when it is not. See, there's a difference in that word. You don't just accept Christ in this, yeah, right, well, sure. I mean, yeah, accept Christ, sure. No, you reach out and seize him in belief. And you receive him. And you put your hope and your confidence in him. But perhaps that's not where people are being led. In this context, in John chapter 1, where we're learning about people not receiving him and learning how to receive and believe. Look in verse 19, where we'll begin this morning. We're going to learn about what it is to be a witness. And I hope we'll learn something from studying John the Baptist and letting him define for us how to witness. What is it to be a witness? Verse 19. This is the testimony of John. When the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, Who are you? 
He confessed and did not deny, but confessed, I am not the Christ. And they asked him, what then? Are you Elijah? He said, I am not. Are you the prophet? And he answered, no. So they said to him, who are you? We need to give an answer to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? He said, I am the voice of one crying out in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord, as the prophet Isaiah said. Now they had been sent from the Pharisees. They asked him, then why are you baptizing? If you are neither the Christ, nor Elijah, nor the prophet, John answered them. I baptize with water, but among you stands one you do not know, even he who comes after me, the strap of whose sandal I'm not worthy to untie. These things took place in Bethany, across the Jordan, where John was baptizing. Now I'm going to stop there, and next week we're going to pick up, and I, and I would encourage you to invite folks to come next week. Next week we're going to pick up on John's witness to the Lamb of God, and we're going to learn something about forgiveness that should be some of the best news you have ever heard in your life. And if you know somebody who's, who has not yet received the forgiveness of God, next week would be a great place for them to be here listening to John's testimony. This begins in verse 19. And this is the testimony of John. Who is this guy, John? But what's interesting, when the gospel of John begins, it begins just like the gospel of Mark, the gospel of Luke, and really pretty closely the gospel of Matthew. But especially Mark and Luke and John all begin the gospel message with the witness of John the Baptist. And so there's an interesting thing here, I think, that helps us to realize the role that God has chosen for witness to play in the message of the gospel. This is where the gospel begins. The gospel does not begin with the acts of Jesus. It doesn't begin with the teachings of Jesus. It begins in the beginning, letting us know that who this Jesus is, he's eternal God who's come to earth. And then when we go from the beginning of time of who Jesus is, and then we step into the beginning of his feet being upon the earth, we start with John the Baptist. And his ministry of being a witness. Witness, I'm putting your outline, I believe, is a pattern of gospel ministry. Witness that precedes receiving and believing. I think this is why this is so critical for the age in which we live. But let's learn today from the Master on how to be a witness. So quick thoughts. Back up before verse 19. It's almost as though John's not able to restrain his announcing John the Baptist. He, he butts in in verse 6. And gives us a little bit of a glimpse. He's just given five verses about God, who he is, about the light that's come. And then in verse 6, he begins to comment about who this John the Baptist is. Verse 6, there was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. So we, we, we're going to learn something here about God's economy in that little statement right there. And then we're going to study John's message in a moment to learn how to witness. But in God's economy, it says there was a man sent from God. Where did John come from? He was sent from God. Now the interesting thing here is we've just read five verses on where did Jesus come from. Well, he was in the beginning. He was with God and he was God. He is the light. He is the life. 
He's God. Now notice the clarifying element here. Jesus is God. John the Baptist is just a man. Jesus is God. John the Baptist is just a man. Sent by God. So a gospel witness is one who is sent by God. He's sent by God. Therefore, he is not his own man. John the Baptist didn't just decide he was going to go into the religion business one day. Come up with some ideas, promote them and sell them to other people. He is directed by God. He's not self-employed. He doesn't have his own message and his own means. Everything he's going to be doing is being defined by God. That's a good parameter for anybody who's going to be a witness to have in mind. We, we, are, we are on a mission that God has sent us on. We are here to deliver a message. The Bible says that he is a witness. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness. That's a, it's a legal term that's used here. And anytime it's the word that we get martyr from, but in the context of where it's used, it's somebody who's called into a court setting to testify on behalf of what they've seen or they're going to tell the story that they have inside of them about an event. Well, that's what he's called to do. That's what a witness is. He's telling the story about Christ. But listen to what it says here. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light. The witness of John the Baptist, the witness of any witness is about the light. The light's been revealed to us. We've taught on that already. The first section of John is revealing the one true God. The true light, not the false light, but the true light. John the Baptist is here to tell us as a witness about the true light. Any true biblically sent witness is a witness about the true light. Now, I don't have time to chase off on all the thoughts, but you know, there's a lot of people who speak for God that are witnesses for all kinds of stuff. The true life who was the life, and that life was the light of all men. Well, some people seem to only be witnesses about the life that they can have. There are some who are standing in pulpits today who have very little to say about Jesus Christ and who he was and the magnificence of him being God and the life that, would, that he brought and the life that he brought to all men. Instead, the only witness that they have is you can have a good life. You want a good life? Come on in. I'll tell you how to have the good life. Oh, we might mention Jesus. We might. But we might not. And if we do, we might be very unclear about who he is. I've seen some guys, very popular Christian speakers. Who, when it comes to John's going to turn around and say, Behold the Lamb of God, next week when we look at his, this statement, who takes away the sin of the world. When you have a person who stands as a, quote, witness, a Christian witness, who casts a question on how man finds forgiveness and whether it's only through Jesus Christ, does that man qualify to be a witness? Oh, sure, he's here to tell you that God loves you. And there's a great plan. And God wants a better life for you. He doesn't want you to suffer. And he wants you to have pain. He wants good things for you. Oh, that's great. Is that a witness? I don't know. The witness here who's demonstrated for us is a witness who's bearing witness about who the light is. If you don't get right who God is, and then you move to, let's talk about having a good life, and depart from who God is, you more than likely have departed from being a witness. The witness of John the Baptist is he came as a witness to bear witness about the light, about the person and work of Jesus Christ. And look what it says here in verse 7. 
that all might believe through him. That all might believe through him. Now this is where this word belief jumps in. John, in the Gospel of John, is going to use this word belief over and over and over again. Probably more than any other writer. Because we said in the end of the book here, he gives away why he's writing these things. These things have been written down so that you may, what? Believe. The purpose of all that John is communicating is to bring us to a place of belief. Well, interesting, as we just saw, you become a child of God by believing and receiving. Part of becoming, part of believing and receiving is the witness of John the Baptist. You see that there? He came as a light. He came, he came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. How does one come to this place of believing? Through a gospel witness that God places at the beginning of the gospel messages. What a significant place we find gospel witness in the Bible. Now, if you think for a moment, you think in your own life, probably every one of us would raise our hands to say, we came to Christ through the witness of another human being. Somebody came to us and explained the gospel, brought us to a point where we could believe and receive and become children of God. See, gospel witness is not an optional issue. It is a significant issue. And God, who sends his son into the world, who could have done anything. Remember, God's not following anybody's script when you read the Bible. It's not as though God comes along and he says, Oh, man, I wish that God before me hadn't done this John the Baptist thing. Now I've got to do it too. He didn't have to do that. There didn't have to be a John the Baptist. But in the economy of God of bringing people to believing and receiving... Witnessing is part of the economy of God. How do people come into the kingdom? How do they believe and receive and become children of God? Through a gospel witness. John is our first glimpse at a gospel witness. I want us to walk away from here not just appreciating something about John, but realizing we are called to be what John was to this world. We are called to be the witnesses that John was in this setting. Now, what is he doing here? Right? He is a witness, and there's questions. John, who are you, man? Who, who are you? And he explains by saying, verse 23, he said, I'm the voice of one crying out in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord. Now, John records here that phrase as a piece of what all the other gospel writers record as well. Turn back to Luke with me. Luke chapter 3. We get a little bit of a glimpse of what, what was this ministry that John the Baptist had. John was making straight. He was preparing the way. Preparing the way for what? I believe he was preparing the way for people to believe and receive. That's what the gospel witness said that he was. So that people, all people might believe through him. His message, his life was preparing the way for people to be in a position to believe and receive Jesus Christ. Let's look. We're going to study for a moment <clears throat> this method of this man, John the Baptist. Back up in Luke chapter 1 just for a second. Another comment about his ministry. 
Verse 15. For he will be, speaking of John the Baptist, for he will be great before the Lord. He must not drink wine or strong drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit, even from his mother's womb. And he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. And he will go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. This is interesting. Please get a hold of this insight. A gospel witness is one who prepares people to believe and receive. Now, how does he go about doing that? I don't, we don't have exhaustive detail, but we've got a good bit of detail on, on John's life. John, uh, uh, Luke chapter 3. Let's check out John's message here for a moment. This is the, the voice that is making people prepared. Look in verse 2. During the high priesthood of Annas and Caiaphas, the word of God came to John, the son of Zechariah, in the wilderness. And he went into all the region around the Jordan, proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. As it is written in the book of the words of Isaiah the prophet, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. Every valley shall be filled and every mountain and hill shall be made low and the crooked shall become straight. And the rough places shall become level ways, and all flesh shall see the salvation of God. He said, therefore, to the crowds that came out to be baptized by him, you brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Bear fruits in keeping with repentance, and do not begin to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. For I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children for Abraham. Even now the axe is laid to the root of the trees. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Now, his message continues, but I just want us to pick up on some pieces here. This man is the witness sent by God so that people may be prepared to believe and receive. What can we learn from him? What can we learn about ourselves that would tell us, I'll put this in your outline, that tell us we are prepared to receive Christ. He's preparing people to receive Christ. We are prepared, let me walk through a few points here. We are prepared to receive Christ when we, one, have a God-given picture of our condition. John, is, John the Baptist is bringing a perspective to these folks. Verse 3 he went into all the region around the Jordan proclaiming a baptism of repentance and forgiveness of sin. He turns around and he calls these people a brood of vipers. He tells them, you better examine the fruit growing on your tree because the axe is about to be laid at its root. John the Baptist does not have a message that is a witness that prepares people by saying, hey, look, everything's looking good. He's going out in the, into the wilderness, he's going out in the highways and byways, and he's not running around saying, look, status quo, guys, keep it up. Everything looks cool. You're looking good. Everything's in place. You are, you are well prepared. When the Messiah comes and sets himself before you, you are going to respond wonderfully. Way to go. That's not his message, is it? 
But if you listen to their response, you'd have thought that should have been his message. Because he knows, he's anticipating their response, doesn't he? He comes pronouncing this message, you're in trouble! Something needs to change! You better examine the fruit of your life! This is not good, you're not right with God! This is his message, upsetting people's thoughts and their ideas. And he knows how they're going to, going to respond. Remember, do you know who his audience is, by the way? For the most part, religious Jews. For the most part. So he's going out to preach a message to people who already think they're, they're pretty well off. I mean, after all, oh, John the Baptist, I, you know, I appreciate your zeal, but the Romans are down the road. Understand, we are the children of Abraham. You know, he doesn't even let them get to that. He attacks that thought because he knows what's in their mind is what they have comforted themselves with that would keep them from feeling the discomfort of a man saying, you're not right with God and you better be prepared to get right. Oh, no, we're children of Abraham. No, don't give me that. God could raise up from these rocks, children of Abraham. You better examine the fruit of your life because the axe is being laid at the fruit at the bottom of your tree. And you better be ready, you brood of vipers. Who warns you? What on earth are you even doing here? What motivated you to come? You're not right with God. Listen, this ministry of witness sounds an alarm that you're not right with God. And I don't know, in today's setting, people respond differently. You tell people they're not right with God today. I don't know how you responded to hearing that yourself. It's a little offensive, isn't it? You know, I almost going to get that. What, what do you mean? Didn't you know I'm, I'm a descendant of Abraham? Well, we don't say that. Um, I'm, I'm a pretty good person. What do you mean? I'm not right with God. I mean, I'm not perfect or anything, but I'm, I'm a pretty good person. You know, or I, I go to church. What are you talking about? Oh, I'm Catholic. Don't tell me that. I'm Catholic. Or my dad was a Baptist minister. We got all kinds of reasons to soften up the issue and to make us somehow, because of something that really has nothing to do with my personal belief and my walk with God, it just has generically to do, it's almost like saying, don't you know I breathe oxygen? Don't tell me that. I breathe oxygen. So what? It doesn't mean you're right with God. So there needs to be an issue, and witness needs to bring with it the reality that there is, there is a sin issue involved that calls forth a Messiah to save us. J.C. Ryle says in his book, Holiness, the plain truth is that a right knowledge of sin, this is what a witness brings, he brings a right knowledge of sin, lies at the root of saving Christianity. Without it, such doctrines as justification, right, getting right with God, conversion, the need to change, sanctification, are words and names which convey no meaning to the mind. Dim or indistinct views of sin are the origin of most of the errors, heresies, and false doctrines of the present day. If a man does not realize the dangerous nature of his soul's disease, you cannot wonder if he is content with false or imperfect remedies. And here's a basic question for any of us to be ready. Am I ready to receive and believe in Jesus Christ? So I don't know. Are you broken? Is there something wrong with you? There's something seriously wrong with you. 
Well, I don't know, seriously wrong. I mean, I mean, I know I'm not perfect, Keith. I mean, what are you getting at? Well, are you convinced you're broken? Are you convinced your life doesn't work? Convinced there's wrong elements in your life? And what can you do to fix it? Can you do something to fix it yourself? Because, you know, if you think you can fix your own life, guess what? You will fix your own life. Or at least you'll try to. I've never met anybody who's been able to. What does it take to fix you? Does it take Christ to fix you? Or is there something else out there? See, because if you're not convinced that only Christ can fix you, you're not ready to receive him either. You'll pursue some other remedy. You'll pursue being more religious. Go to church a little bit more often. Pray a little more often. Go to confession. Do some things that you've neglected. Pick up the ball a little bit in that category. Will that make you right with God? Well, if you think it will, then that's what you'll go after. I think what most people do is most people embrace uh, what I would call bell curve redemption. Here's how you get right with God. You just basically count on everybody else being worse than you are. Or at least the majority of people, right? You remember going to school and you had this bell curve thing that happened? You draw a line in the middle of the bell curve. Everybody on this side of the line fails. Everybody on this side of the line passes. Right? I, I remember <clears throat> uh, first year of, at LSU, I took a class, an enormous class. I'd never been in a class so big in my life. It was 300 people in this class. And the first test this guy gave was horrendous. I mean, it was absolutely awful. Everybody bombed. I got the second highest grade in the class. It was a 78. But, you know, in a strange way, everyone was relieved. Everyone felt good about it. Everybody failed, except for me and one other guy. But all of us felt good about it. You know why? Because everybody huddled together with this mentality. He can't fail all of us. I can't fail everybody except two people. And, of course, I felt great. Because I did better than everybody else. So whatever he does to them, I'm really going to be in good shape. So what the guy did was he literally he would do this to every test. He would push the A's up. So I got, I got A's by making 78s. I didn't have to get a 98. I just had to get a 78. I just had to do better than most people. You understand that's what most people believe about God? You know, it's not that I'm, uh, you know, I'm not, listen, I'm not the greatest person in the world. But, you know, deep down inside, I know I'm not the worst either. I know there's some worse people out there. And, you know, you know, I don't know. I've never really thought it out. But I guess if I stay ahead of average, I'm, I'm feeling like I'm all right with God. You're not ready to receive Christ. And you don't understand him either. See, it doesn't say that half the class falls short of the glory of God. It says all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And I don't find God grading on a curve. I swear it here. There's no such thing in this Bible. There's 100% mercy found in the person of Christ. But there ain't no part for you just to do better than others and get your way into heaven as a result. Second, we're prepared to receive Christ when we understand our need to be forgiven. John's message, verse 3, he went into all the region around Jordan proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. His message was, you need to be forgiven. Not only that, he made it a little worse. Verse 7, he calls him a brood of vipers. He says, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? 
In other words, not only are we broken, a lot of us can live with that. We can live with humanity and say, look, I know I'm not perfect. You know, I, I'm, I know I don't do everything right. Okay, well, the next thought, though, is a biblical thought, and it's the message of the witness of John the Baptist. Okay, well, do you know that for everything you don't do right, you are unforgiven right now? You are not forgiven for whatever it is that you've done wrong. You're willing to admit you've fallen short in these categories, in those categories. You are not forgiven. He came to them preaching a message of repentance and forgiveness of sin. In other words, you people, you have need of being forgiven. You are not forgiven. And there comes a day, this day of wrath. Who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? There comes a day when the debt that we owed is going to be collected. That day is the day of God's wrath, referred to all throughout Scripture. You know, it's kind of like <clears throat> one day you go outside. You notice going into your house, there's this black cable going in your house. And it doesn't connect to anything. It's just sitting out there. You look at it and you eventually figure, hmm, I wonder if I connected this to this. You connect it. Next thing you know, you start getting all kinds of cable TV channels. <laughs> wow. Check this out. I mean, I get, I get 260 channels. You start talking to other people, you find out other people have done the same thing. Oh, you connected that black cable outside? Oh, yeah. Well, I didn't even know that. Oh, I've been doing that for years. Years go by. And all of a sudden, in the mail comes this notice. You're being charged an enormous amount of money for cable TV all these years. What? what? Well, sure. You're stealing that all these years. And now the day to pay for it has come. Well, everybody does that, though. You still owe. And they're going to collect. Now, in a similar way, you understand last week we talked about God being the originator of our lives. Where do you and I get the breath that we're breathing right now? We get it from God, right? God's the source. And so there comes a day when those of us who have decided that we wanted to get, we wanted breath for free. And we wanted to enjoy these bodies for free. We don't want to connect to God. We don't want to worship God. We don't want to acknowledge God. Oh, we'll put him in a closet. We'll go visit him every once in a while. But we know we want to have our own life our own way. And we want, we want to enjoy taste buds. We want to eat his food. We want to soak up his sunshine. We want to use his electricity. We want to breathe his air. But we don't want to honor him as God. There comes a day when God says, I'm here to collect. You owe me. You've been using my creation and dishonoring me the whole way. For my creation just exists to turn you to be in worship and adoration and to know God. But you've chosen not to know me, but to use up my stuff. I've come to collect. See, who warned you to flee from the day of the wrath of God? See, there isn't a more important element of what we are witnessing. We are witnessing about Jesus Christ coming to remedy the day that our debt will need to be collected. We witness about what he did that releases us from that debt. 
Ken Hughes says, our message, this witness of ours, must be the sacrificial death of Christ. It is dangerously easy to move away from the blood of the atonement in our thinking. Christianity is a bloody religion. The blood of Christ cleanses us from all sin. This reality must be primary in our witness and in our thinking. Yes, Christ came to give abundant life. Yes, Christ worked miracles, and he can work miracles in our lives today. How many of you know that's the gospel for some people? It's part of the gospel. But these are the benefits of the gospel, not the gospel itself. The gospel centers upon Christ as the sin bearer. See, when John the Baptist witnesses about Christ... He doesn't just portray a God who's interested in doing something good and and, and changing your life in a better way that you'd always wanted to be anyway. Now, God does good things in people's lives, and that's not held back in the testimony of Scripture. But what's highlighted here is someone innocent is going to have to die to get you out from underneath the amount of debt that you owe God that you can never pay. R.C. Sproul, very sobering thought from his book, The Truth of the Cross, says, I came to the conclusion that people are not concerned about an atonement. They're basically convinced they have no need for it. They aren't asking, how can I be reconciled to God? How can I escape the judgment of God? If anything has been lost from our culture, it is the idea that human beings are privately, personally, individually, ultimately, inexorably accountable to God for their lives. If everybody in the world woke up and said, someday I have to stand before my maker and give an account for every word I've ever spoken, every deed I've ever done, every thought I've ever thought, and every task I've ever failed to do. What a difference that would make. I think when you begin to realize that, you are being prepared to receive Christ. When you come face to face with the reality that every moment of our lives that we breathe God's air and live underneath His sunshine and His laws, every moment we will give an account for. And I start thinking through that. I start having a list of, oh, that and that, and that whole season of things, and this, and no one knows about that, but that too. That'll that'll prepare you to receive. Am I aware of my need to be forgiven? Third, we're prepared to receive Christ when our faith is in what God has said. An interesting thing here that that John does this, and it's all throughout the New Testament especially. Verse 4, as it is written in the book of the words of Isaiah the prophet, as it is written... The authority for a witness is not himself. The authority for John's witness was not his ideas. He doesn't go off like Muhammad, hang out with God and say, all these ideas, they're mine. Here's my ideas. And you better do them if you want to be right with God. He says, no, as it is written, as there already is the authority of what God has already said. I proclaim that to you. That's what a witness does. It's very appropriate if you're a Christian and you're sharing Christ with others. It's very appropriate for them to almost hear the monotony of you saying, well, the Bible says, well, the Bible says, 
Well, the Bible says, because your witness is not about what you say. A witness is sent by God. We have a message, and it's not our own. It's what he has said. So when I point somebody to something as a witness, I don't point them to my opinions about God and how to be right with God. I just point them to what the Bible says. Right? Now, it's appropriate. Look in first, Second Peter chapter 1 just for a second. It's appropriate that there are personal elements of our testimony that are part of what we would share. But they need to find their place alongside something more important. Second Peter chapter 1, verse 16. It says, For we did not follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For when he received honor and glory from God the Father, and the voice was borne to him by the majestic glory, this is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. We ourselves heard this very voice born from heaven. For we were with him on the holy mountain. Now, we should be able to say that. You should be able to say, this is what I've experienced of God. My life was this way. And God came into my life and changed this way. Let me tell you the effect that Jesus Christ has had on me. But if that's all you have to say, you don't quite have a complete witness. It should be part of your witness. But the reason for somebody else to receive and believe on Christ is not just because you are personally affected by him. However, if you're not personally affected by him, you don't have a message either, do you? But a lot of people come along and say, oh, I attended this, this strange meeting. It was a Wicca Wacko conference in 1978. And oh, man, did I experience something. You should have this, too. Does that mean you should have that? That's great. You had a real experience. But is that what we testify of? Well, we do testify of our experience in Christ, but look at the rest of this verse. And we have something more sure, the prophetic word to which you will do well to pay attention as to a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. Knowing this, first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. See, we testify and we point people to something more sure than just our experience. We do explain our experience, but we point them to something greater than that. We point them to the Old Testament prophetic roadmap. And when the light comes on, it's almost like it's pieces of clues that lead you when you read them and pick them up to the feet of Jesus Christ. All the prophecies in Scripture. You go back, there are hundreds of prophecies, and I don't even want to take the time to go through them. We'll pick up some of them as we go through. But the fact that he would be born in Bethlehem, born of a virgin, born through the lineage of David. Right? These are things he couldn't have controlled. He could have come around and said, quoted Isaiah the prophet, but he can't control any of those things. Events like kings would bring gifts to him. The deaf will hear and the blind will see. He'd be betrayed by a friend for 30 pieces of silver. And that 30 pieces of silver would be used to buy a potter's field. These are all prophecies hundreds of years before Christ ever comes upon this earth. He'd be pierced in his hands and his feet. They'd cast lots for his clothing. He'd be numbered among the thieves, but he'd be buried with a rich man. Remember Joseph of Arimathea shows up, wealthy man, and wants to give Jesus a place to be buried. How does all this happen? It's a road map. And you're going to see the disciples in John chapter 1 when they respond to Christ. 
they invite and he says, Come see the one of whom Moses spoke. See, there is a witness before the witness. There is an authority for the witness. There's a roadmap. Listen, find me the roadmap leading to Muhammad. And millions are following what this man has said. Show me the prophetic that pointed out who he would be and what he would say. If you've read the Koran at all, the Koran finds itself at home trying to touch the Torah, the Old Testament, the New Testament. It wants to get itself all over the hands of what God's already written. The problem is, those books that you seem to want to appreciate don't say anything about you. And they don't affirm your message. They speak of significant things like the Holy Spirit, which you do not speak of. The work of the cross is all throughout the scripture, but you are nowhere to be found, Mr. Muhammad. Neither is your message. Somebody show me the roadmap, the prophetic roadmap over the course of human history leading to Buddha. It's not there. But if you go back and do the homework, and that's what John the Baptist does, he says, as it is written, as it's been said for hundreds of years, I'm witnessing to you about the salvation that's been revealed from ages on past. The prophetic word that is more sure that he testifies about. Fourth, we're prepared to receive Christ and we are willing to repent. Really willing to repent. Really willing to change, to stop doing certain things, to survey our life and to realize to come to God means that's got to stop, that's got to stop, that's wrong. And I'm willing to part with that. I'm ready to receive Christ. See, he's the Lord. He's the boss. He's the owner. If you're coming to him with, you know, wait, quick, before I come, let me stuff all this stuff in my pocket so he won't know that I have this because this is my pet areas in life. And I certainly don't want him to see this. He'll want me to give it up to him. So I want to keep practicing this sin. And, and I like to sleep around and I like to party. And my money's mine and my goals are this. But, you know, I, I, I want all you have for me, Jesus. You're not ready to receive Christ. That's not how he comes to you. He comes as Lord. You mean you hear the voice of John the Baptist here? He came preaching a message of repentance. And in verse 8 he says, Bear fruits in keeping with repentance. If your heart towards repentance is real, then you're going to be changing. You're going to stop doing things. And what's interesting here is, Christ has not yet come to them. He's the witness that prepares the way for Christ to come. Christ isn't here yet. And they, well, what's that look like for me? In verse 10, the crowds ask him, what then shall we do? He answered, whoever has two tunics is to share with him who has none. And whoever has food is to do likewise. Tax collectors also came to be baptized and said to him, teacher, what shall we do? He said to them, collect no more than you are authorized to do. See, repentance, when it is in you, it makes you want to do things different. What do, what do I need to do? What do I, what do I need to do? If repentance is not in you, if stubbornness is in you, and resistance is in you, and I'm not interested, and I'm not open, and don't talk to me about that. I can't stand people like that. They're always making an issue out of this. You're not broken. You're not repentant. You're not ready to receive Christ. And I would dare say, if you rush into receiving him, without these elements, these biblical elements in place, you will probably be one of those people who says, oh, sure, I read the Bible. Who wrote this? Well, I don't know. Well, yeah, I believe that this is the inspired word of God. But, you know, I pretty much also believe there's a lot of ways to God. 
I think you're signing on to be one of those people. Because you didn't come the way in which the Bible calls us to come to him. Tozer says the converted man is both reformed and regenerated. He's reformed. He wants something different. And unless the sinner is willing to reform his ways of living, he will never know the inward experience of regeneration. If you're unwilling to repent, I don't believe you're ready to receive and be regenerated. This is the vital truth which has gotten lost under the leaves in popular evangelical theology. Question, um, am I willing to change? Am I willing to come to Christ and to change? Let me make a couple of quick notes here. Note number one. A response to Christ is an informed response. Too many people have vague information about Christ and, and themselves and about sin and believing in Him. They have vague information. They're trying to rush into some kind of decision about Him. Don't, don't think there's wisdom there. Charles Spurgeon said, All hurry to get one into the church is most mischievous, both to the church and to the supposed convert. I remember several young men who were of good moral character and religiously hopeful. However, instead of searching their hearts and aiming at their real conversion, the pastor never gave them any rest until he had persuaded them to make a profession. He thought that they would be under more bonds to holy things if they professed religion. He felt quite safe in pressing them, for they were so hopeful. He imagined that to discourage them by vigilant examination might drive them away. To secure them, he made them hypocrites. Presently, these young men are much further from the church of God than they would have been if they had been affronted by being kept in their proper places and warned that they were not converted. So this, there is a problem in Christianity today in the culture in which we live. It's Christianity that, that as Mr. Ironside said, that lacks grace in it. Grace renews our lives. It brings hope. It brings change. It brings joy. It brings enamoring with God. It brings different lifestyle and pursuits. And yet so many who call themselves Christians don't look like Christians. Might it be because the church doesn't witness correctly? Might it be that the gospel witness that precedes believing and receiving has become very distorted? And we don't proclaim Christ as we should. We rush people who have a nominal interest in God big interest in their own world, but they'll say three buzzwords, and when then they're in. Maybe they're just at a place where they need to hear more from John the Baptist. They need to consider their own condition. Second note, not everyone will respond positively to the witness. Know that. Not everybody responded well to John's message. I mean, you do remember, he ends up dead, right? Not a happy ending. Not everybody's going to respond. You can be witnessing very well. And not have a positive response from folks. Third, and this is a very important note. Preparing to receive the Savior doesn't save you. You can get really messed up right here if you're not careful. All John the Baptist does is he prepares people to come to a place to be saved. They're not saved by doing any of this. You don't get saved by saying, okay, I confess. I confess. I'm broken. I'm sinful. I confess that. I confess I need to be forgiven. I can, I'm I'm willing to repent. I'm willing to change. You're still not saved. But now you're prepared to reach out and seize Christ, the one who will forgive you for your sins, and come into your world and change you 
who are willing to repent and change. That's salvation. Witness prepares the way. It doesn't save anyone. It prepares them to be saved. I'm not going to take all the time I have in the, in the notes there to go through us being a, a witnessing community for Christ. But please consider what we've just learned and observed from John the Baptist, from the gospel witness, needs to find its reality in our lives. One of the most significant, it's not the most significant, but one of the most significant things we will do in our time on earth is we will be witnesses of Jesus Christ. This is not just John's assignment. We are all called to bear witness. We are all sent. So the issue, number one, is, is we need to go. If we're going to be a witnessing community, we need to go. John the Baptist went with a mission. He went with a message. We need to figure out and be prepared to live our lives toward the gospel going from us and bringing these elements that we've learned from John the Baptist into other people's lives, into our conversation, into our manner of living, into the way in which we interact and discuss religion and relating to God. Now, God needs to give specifics in how this is done. I'm not in any way suggesting you should dress up like John the Baptist, eat bugs, drink honey, and, and go around shouting in the wilderness. I'm not suggesting. I mean, that's how John was supposed to do it. But it may not be how you're supposed to do it. But when you interact with people, these elements should be in it. People should be being prepared to receive by coming in contact with the elements of, I'm not right with God. And then they pick that up by watching you be right with God. They didn't watch your holy living and receive conviction. Right? The, the righteous wife in 1 Peter chapter 3 drives her husband to Christ, not with words, but by him observing her chaste and respectful behavior. See, the way you live and the words you convey, but at, at the end of the day, somebody's got to get to a place where I'm not right with God. Something's got to be done. The issue of forgiveness. It's not just that you need to get help from God so you can have a better life. You need to get forgiveness from God because you're in debt to Him. And He is going to come in exact payment. And next week, you're going to hear the greatest news about how God deals with that issue. A willingness to repent and to, and to base your faith in the Scriptures. If a person doesn't have those ingredients, I'm not sure we serve them well. By trying to lead them to a decision. I think we should be looking for those elements. To prepare people to believe and receive. But we do need to go. Second, we need to have an accurate grasp of the gospel. Now, this could be a longer list here. But, but you know, in your own mind, are there other ways? Are there other ways to God? Do you have an answer for that? you have a biblical answer? Who is Jesus? Who is he? John chapter 1. What have we learned about him? How does one respond to Jesus in a saving way? You do realize there are inappropriate responses to Christ. Sheer acknowledgement. Appreciation historically. These, these, are, these are not appropriate responses to Christ. Do you know when somebody has appropriately responded? See, we should know these things. To be a witness, we, we are to prepare. We're to lead them to the place of believing and receiving. That is the ministry of a witness. We prepare people. We don't save anybody. That's good news. Everybody ought to feel the weight of that just getting off of them. Right? I, I don't have to close the deal. I don't have to have the great deal, you know, the argument that puts them in the place. And it's like, all right. 
you win. Okay, I'll be safe. What do I got to do now? You know, all we just we just prepare them by exposing them to truth, and the reality in our lives, and the gospel witness and clarification about who Christ is and the need that they have to be made right with Him. Third, live and proclaim a message that prepares people to repent. Repent of who we are, believe what God has said, and receive who God has sent. Matt, go ahead and come up. Let's stand up together. Lord, we have opened your word more significantly, Lord. We trust that your word has opened us, every man and woman here, young person here this morning, by your grace, Lord, is experiencing the unfolding of your word that brings light and understanding. Lord, for some right now, would you, would you make this so real for them that they would understand right now whether or not they have truly come to a place of believing and receiving Christ. Lord, would you allow folks to consider where they are? Lord, there are some here who need to hear the urgency of John the Baptist and all of his outfit, all of his bizarreness, proclaiming, you're not right with God. Your life is broken and you are in the ditch because you're not right with God. If you're here this morning and something in your heart right now is telling you you're not right with God, And you've listened carefully and you've heard from the word that you are needing the forgiveness of God for not being right with Him. Living your own life, your own way. Stealing the very air of God. Taking the body He provided for you and using it for corrupt means. Taking the time He's given to you and using it for selfish pursuits to the exclusion of God. You are not right with Him. And you need to be forgiven. This is not my opinion. It is the Word of God testified for thousands of years by prophets who specifically pointed to the person who was the remedy for your need this morning. And I know if you're in your heart, you're prepared this morning to receive Christ. This is making sense to you, isn't it? There's something about it that is clear in your own heart. And my question to you is, are you, are you ready to repent? Are you ready to stand before God and say, God, I'm, I've been wrong. My actions have been wrong. My attitudes have been wrong. And this morning, God, I'm, I'm willing to change. I'm willing for my life to be different. 
this morning. I want to receive you. I reach out to receive you. I take hold of you today. I believe in you. I put my confidence in you. My hope is in you. It's in your mercy that right now you don't reject me, but you welcome me. It's in your love that in spite of what I've done, you are here today to be kind to me and caring to me and promise a new life for me. My hope is in you. It's not in me. It's not in my abilities. It's not in my religion. It's not in me being good. I put my hope in you today, Jesus Christ. And I receive you. I, I lay hold of you today. Come into my life. Change me. Make my life to be all that you had wanted it to be. Thank you for having a plan for my life. For wanting me to be something that would glorify you. For wanting me to receive your love and the outpouring of your care. Thank you. Thank you. Today I come home to you. I stop running. I'm not going to do things my own way anymore. My life belongs to you, Jesus Christ. If you're here today and you you prayed that because it was real in your heart for you to pray that, it would be very helpful for you as you continue to take steps in pursuing God you tell somebody you did that just trust me going forward gets hindered by staying private it just does so if you came with somebody today tell that person hey uh, I prayed that this morning I believe I'm right with God now if you don't know anybody here you're uncomfortable telling somebody come tell me I'll stand up here in the front for a little while after the service you're welcome come tell me I'll only smile. I even jump up and down. But I'd like for us to close this morning. <clears throat> and I'd like for us to, to receive from God a fresh sense of the significance of being a witness. The God who could send his son without sending a John the Baptist did not send his son without sending a John the Baptist. The God who has a message of the gospel that saves men, but yet calls on men to testify and be a witness of it. Being a witness is a significant issue. The life we live and the message we proclaim in our pursuit of people prepares them to receive and believe the gospel. I want the Holy Spirit to fill us with a fresh sense of being witnesses. So can you turn your heart to the Lord right now? Can you let him examine you? Can you confess to him whether this has been an area of neglect in your own life? Can you confess your fears or selfishness or busyness? Our lack of insight and understanding as to how significant it truly is that you would play the role of witnessing about the person and the work of Jesus Christ. Holy Spirit, how much we need you to motivate us in this area. How much we need a move of your Spirit.
in our hearts to awaken and remind us, Lord, somebody came to us. Someone was a John the Baptist to us. Who through their life and through their message, we began to realize our life wasn't right. And we needed God and we needed forgiveness. And God, we, we were sobered by the reality that there were things wrong about our lives that needed to change. And you humbled us and we came to a place of saying yes to you. And our lives have never been the same. Now, Lord, we are your witnesses. And for whatever reason, you've not chosen to not need a gospel witness in the earth. You have chosen to use it to prepare the way. So, Lord, make us this people. What a move John the Baptist prepared. The world got turned upside down by a man who was devoted to you, who was full of the Holy Spirit, who lived his life in a manner that was worthy. And who understood what he must say and how he must live so that others would be compelled to come to Christ, to seek him out. He shared wisdom and he shared insights and he shared the message of repentance and baptism for the forgiveness of sins. God, give us that kind of mission in our hearts. Give us strategy, Lord, to go into lives. God, may we find a way into people's lives. God, I thank you for the holidays that are approaching. Lord, I thank you for us gathering around tables and interrupting our busy schedules and sitting with people that we love and care about. Lord, give us Holy Spirit empowerment to be your witnesses. May we bear witness of the light so that all may come to believe, Lord. That is our desire that our family, our friends, this community, this city that we're set in, would come to believe and receive Jesus Christ as Lord in their lives. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Bless you.